Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Happy Valentine's Day a little early. Looking around at all the hearts everywhere, it has to make you think of keeping your actual heart healthy. We know heart disease is the number one killer in the United States, and yet, even with all of our modern testing and techniques, we still have yet to conquer the overwhelming number of heart attacks each year. What can you do if you have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, high sugars? Well, do not despair. There are some simple things that you can add to your diet and simple activities you can do right now to reduce your risk of heart disease. Here to share the latest is Dr. Ann Leek from Queens Medical Center, West Oahu. Dr. Ann, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you, Kathy. Pleasure to be here. Well, you know, we were just talking before we came on air about the general idea about treating people with cholesterol and blood pressure and diabetes and preventing heart disease. And I can tell you now that we're going to talk about some real interesting topics that people don't often hear a lot. Because it's not just what you should stop eating when we talk about cholesterol and blood pressure, but sometimes it's what you should start eating and how these things can actually help and ways that you can add foods to your diet, which most people think, okay, I've got diabetes, I've got high blood pressure, I've got cholesterol, I have to keep subtracting. So, you know, for those of you who have any of those conditions, this is going to be a great show for you to listen to. And as always, Phone lines are open. We'd love to hear from folks if they have questions about what they can do regarding their risks for heart disease. You can call us at 941-3689, toll free from our friends in the neighbor islands and beyond, 877-941-3689. Now let's talk first about cholesterol because that's a big issue. We think about Valentine's Day, heart blockages, don't have blockages. They're caused by problems with cholesterol and theories regarding inflammation in the arteries. And let's sort of talk about cholesterol, the basics, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So when you look at a cholesterol profile, what kind of numbers are you looking at? So so you have somebody check their numbers, and which numbers mean which thing? Okay, so you have the total amount of cholesterol that a person has, and that's an important thing to know. But you really want to know what's the mix. So we have HDL and LDL. When I was teaching nursing students, I used to tell them, HDL, that's your happy lipoprotein. So that's the good guy, and it's kind of like the garbage truck that circulates around in your blood and picks up deposits of fat in your arteries, so it kind of cleans up any messes left behind. The LDL, we can call that the lousy lipoprotein, that's the one that sticks inside the wall of your arteries. And that can happen anywhere in your body. We're, you know, it's February's heart month, so we think about the heart. But you can lay down that atherosclerotic plaque in any artery, in your carotid artery in your neck, in your uh, aorta, in your abdomen, or in your legs. So all of these are in that same family of atherosclerosis. So we want to have a mix of as high of a good cholesterol as we can get and as low of a bad cholesterol as we can get in the safest way with, you know, what we eat and how much we move about playing a major role in those things. So you've got your total, but if you only know your total cholesterol, it's kind of like how much money did you have? How much is in checking? How much is in savings? Don't be overdrawn. So you kind of need to know the breakdown of your total plus those other components. So your high, happy HDL, 
as high as you can get it because you said it acts like your garbage men, your trash men. It takes all the stuff out of the arteries. And your low, lousy LDL, keep it as low as possible. What are realistic numbers? I mean, we hear keep your total below 200, but that doesn't really address the whole HDL, LDL issue. What would be average numbers or goal numbers for the average person with no other risks of having any troubles? I know that there are normal levels for all of these things, but I think it's really more important to look at the overall risk. So... We, uh, back in 2013, we had a revision, a major revision of how doctors look at risk related to heart disease. And the cardiologists and the American Heart Association now have a different kind of calculator that looks at your gender, your age, your systolic blood pressure, your total cholesterol, your level of good cholesterol, whether or not you smoke, whether or not you have high blood pressure, or whether or not you have diabetes. So you can run, but you can't hide. That's your cholesterol right. is good, but your blood pressure is up. You're smoking and your sugar's up. You're going to have troubles. That's right. So you just don't want to look at a pure number and then worry about, oh, I'm over the limit. I'm a little bit too high. The other thing that happened in this change of guidelines in 2013 is we don't have absolute numbers like we used to. In some ways, it used to be simpler for doctors to say, okay, we're going to give you this medicine until we hit this number. And now it's a little bit more complicated. So when people are having, uh, there are some numbers, though. So to answer your question more directly, anytime for most adults, if your lousy cholesterol, your LDL, gets above 190 or above, that's a time to think about medicine for sure. So what you would do next is once you see that number, then you would use your calculator, and I have one right here in my cell phone, where I'd plug in those numbers I just mentioned and see what the risk of a cardiovascular event in the next 10 years is going to be. And it's a, if it's 7.5 or greater, then I would look at, well, maybe we need to treat this. And I would still try lifestyle. For most cholesterol, it's really not what we eat. It's what our livers are doing overnight while we're sleeping. They kind of balance things out. And sometimes they do that right, and sometimes the liver doesn't do that right. So for people who really need these medicines, they really need these medicines. And you have to, but you do have to know what risk category you're in before you can make that um, out-and-out decision. As far as good cholesterol, the happy HDL, uh, we certainly want a number of 40 or above as something to shoot for. But if you're in the 60s or when I was teaching those nursing students again in their 20s, some of them actually had HDLs closer to 100. So there's a real uh, variation among a normal healthy population how high it can get. But you'd want it to be 40 or above. Uh, and if it's below that, then you would uh, want to, uh, that would be part of your risk calculation. So the higher your HDL, that's good. Now, if it means that your total goes up, don't worry about it. Because if all of the numbers are coming from your HDL or your happy cholesterol, then just because your total is 230, if you've got an HDL of like 120, which I have seen, yes. and those of you who I know might be listening who are my patients, you know I've seen it. And, and I always congratulate them about it. That doesn't necessarily mean you're at risk just because your total is high. But then when we take a look, you mentioned that you kind of have to put the whole thing in perspective. And I've got a lot of folks who have high bad cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, and they diet and it goes down. Mm -hmm. So how much of, I guess maybe it's an individualized 
situation. How much of most people's LDL is diet versus liver? Because if they're eating a bunch of junk food and then they cut it out, just today I saw somebody who brought their bad cholesterol down about 45 points. And he said, you know, all I did was watch what I was eating and I, I don't have plate lunch. And and that's it. And so he brought his numbers down significantly. So that that being said, I would assume that a lot of it is dietary. And yet there are some people for whom perfect diet, they still have this liver issue. How do you know which group you're in? I think you somewhat know by family history. So people who are in that group where no matter what they eat, their liver isn't working right, that they're more likely to have a family history of people who've had cardiovascular events like stroke or heart attack at a younger age. So that's one thing I'd ask about to try to figure that out. And then I'd also want to know, whatever diet changes someone made, is it something they can sustain? Some people can do it, but, you know, they'll make a big face and they're really not happy with what's going on diet-wise and uh, are more likely to relapse into old eating habits. So I kind of view the diet thing as you, you need to have a makeover of the fat in your diet. And it has to be things that you like. And there are many things that are going to help your cholesterol picture that are on... Uh, favorite food list. So, you know, people should know about that. So their their diet is satisfying to them. So we're going to talk about that in, in just a few minutes. What foods can you add to lower your cholesterol? But we've got ourselves an early caller. We have Kalika calling on the line. Welcome to the body show. Doctors, ladies, thank you so much. I didn't catch where you were calling from, Kalika. I'm, uh, my name is Kalika. I live in Koloa on Kauai. Kauai. Fabulous. All right. So we're talking today about heart disease risk. What can we do for you? Well, uh, I'm a health nut. In the last five years, I've gone from 250 to 140. I have a body uh, mass index of 18 or probably 17 now. I have a body uh, fat index of probably 3. And the thing is, so anyway, so I mean, you know, I'm always reading all these books. Sometimes I read uh, three books a week. The two books that have most impressed me recently, um, uh, first of all, uh, the, the book called What Your Doctor May Not Have Told You About Heart Disease by Dr. Mark Houston. Now, in this book, he says there's over 400 risk factors for heart disease. Now, from all my reading of all these hundreds of books that I've read, I, I think, and it's my humble opinion as a layman, that it's not so much saturated fat, etc., it's oxidized LDL. Now, number two, I'm totally impressed by Dr. Colin Campbell in his China study. Now, he was concerned with, as a researcher before his China study, with the effect of aflatoxins on the liver, and he, what he discovered was that regardless of the country, regardless of the disease, that the, the critical thing across all these, these areas of interest or focus was too much protein. And he found that more than 10 to 12 percent protein, whether from plant or animal, uh, is tremendously correlated with disease. So he suggests that one should not consume more than 10 to 12 percent, whether from, you know, plant protein or animal protein. Of course, he suggests plant protein. So the whole thing is, I, you know, I think his evidence is, is quite convincing. So 
you know, and of course, with you know, the main thing is also calorie restriction. And I mean, all I can say is like. I just turned 69 yesterday. I feel better than I did when I was like 18. So the whole thing is, uh, the bottom line is, I believe that from, from all my readings and all these different areas, ladies, that it is oxidized LDL. And number two, what I have basically also done is like I use, every morning I have two pieces of, of organic seed whole grain bread you know, totally dosed with about eight grams of molecularly distilled fish oil with cinnamon and and ground cloves, and I'm, I mean, I just feel that that it's also in this area of the hormonal interaction uh, vis-a-vis uh, how can we say it? You know, with the omega threes, and then I just uh, I just I just try to like. Uh, eat a really, really healthy diet like, and in all these other cultures, they found out that it, these people who live the longest, whether Okinawa, Greece, or you name it, that they eat a half a cup of beans a day, n- namely, uh, how can I say it, you know, this is for the, the soluble and insoluble, uh, you know, f- fiber. So anyway, all these things, that, that's, that's, my, that's my, my, my total focus you know, with with Dr. Dr. Mark Houston, uh, with the four hundred risk factors, Dr. Colin Campbell with the China study, and uh, you know, you know, I used to think, oh, you should have like six to ten grams of protein a day, and now uh, I'm only having about uh, forty-eight grams of protein a day. But anyway, I just think that in terms of cholesterol, I believe it's the the oxidized LDL. Thank you. All right. Well, you led us into our next discussion. We kind of held people in suspense for a moment, because one of the things you talked about is adding certain foods to the diet that actually can improve the cholesterol. And so, you know, part of what some people feel is a problem is as soon as they hear they have high cholesterol, they want to eliminate anything with cholesterol. And yet there are certain foods that can actually help you. And you mentioned that, yes, there's a lot of risk factors for heart disease. I don't think we'll ever be able to quantify the total, the total exact risk out of 400 for everybody. But you know, there are some basic ones we know statistically can result in some problems. And so we want to eliminate those risks for heart disease, but not necessarily eliminate everybody's foods that they like to eat in their diet. So let's talk a little bit about some of those foods. Uh, Dr. Leek, tell me about some of the foods that actually people can eat to lower their cholesterol, because there's some delicious stuff on your list. Yeah, well, there are so many soy products that do a wonderful job with this Um you can have them as tofu, soy nuts, soy flour, or drinking enriched soy milk are all great-tasting protein alternatives that will help your cholesterol mix. It'll help actually help to lower your bad cholesterol and maybe increase your good cholesterol. Yes. Okay. And then uh, beans, which Kalika measure, uh, mentioned, yep. are also excellent sources. They're fiber-rich, and they uh, just having high-fiber food is a way to uh, lower the amount of fat that you're absorbing from what you eat. And then our, you know, our salmon fish is an amazing heart-friendly fat uh, with its omega-3 fatty acids. Then um, besides salmon, if you don't like salmon, white albacore tuna in a can in water, anchovies, herrings, sardines, and mackerel. So those are some varieties for the non-salmon eaters. Another... um, 
healthy superfood that's recently been studied is avocado. It's one of those good fats. It's a monounsaturated fat. And a recent study that was done at Penn State put overweight adults on three different diets. In one of them, they were forced to eat a, a Haas avocado, one a day. And the nutrients in those diets were the same, same number of calories, same grams of fat per day. But the avocado eaters had a much better lipid profile just from eating an avocado a day. So adding that to their diet changed their balance of good and bad cholesterol. Yes, that's correct. And they could measure that, measuring it before they did the avocado, measuring it afterwards. So they actually have some evidence to say, hey, you know what? Your good guys went up five or 10 points. Your bad guys went down 20 points or so. So scientific proof it works. That's right. And the low-fat diet actually was one of those arms in that study, and it, it did not perform as well as the avocado a day. Then, uh, you know, you just have to think about what are your other goals, too. If if you need to lose weight, you know, what people do to lose weight also will help their cholesterol panel. And avocado is a delicious food, but a, a small whole avocado has about 300 calories and 30 grams of good fat. So if, you, if weight's an issue for you, that may be uh, something to think about. You might have to cut out calories elsewhere. Then, of course, we've got garlic as something that's been known for a long time to lower cholesterol. Spinach, which has lutein in it, it it's, has an anti-inflammatory effect and also helps uh, your artery walls shrug off the LDL that's invading their walls and clogging them up. Then when you think about margarine versus butter, uh, butter is a saturated fat, but there are two brands of uh, margarine that are known to lower cholesterol numbers. I don't know if I can say their brand names on the sure air. One is Take Control, and the other is Benacol. So they have plant sterols that can lower LDL by up to 14%. So it's not like your typical margarine. It has a very specific plant ingredient, which is why it helps the cholesterol. That's correct. And okay. then they're also selling now, this is of interest to me because I do specialize in diabetes now, there are now olive oil-based spreads that you know have the look and, and taste of margarine, but that extra olive oil in, in the diet, um, it, you know, as part of a Mediterranean diet, is helpful for diabetes prevention. And then, of course, we go on to the eating nuts. So almost any kind of nut, but walnuts, cashews, and almonds in particular have those healthy monosaturated fats. Uh, and they also have, you know, other nutrients that make them a very healthy food. Just like the avocado, though, they are high in calories, so you probably want to know how many calories are in the serving you're getting. But generally, like a quarter cup of, of uh, these types of nuts, um, you know, fat as a food, it, t it lasts longer in our bodies as energy. So we burn it for about eight hours. So it has that nice effect of, as a snack, carrying you over until the next meal, especially if you are somebody who's constantly rushing, having a late lunch, needing to just get a little bit of nutrition here and there. Nuts is a good food for that. And then another thing, which people don't often think about is that just drinking tea, uh, whether it's iced or hot, there are antioxidants in the teas that keep your blood vessels relaxed. So if, you're, if that's happening, uh, they're not tight. The, any plaque you have in there is less likely to cause a problem. And then lastly, since we are almost upon Valentine's Day, uh, we think of chocolate, dark and bittersweet 
um, have the best kind of uh, have are the highest amount of antioxidants uh, in them. Keep platelets from sticking together, and may keep your arteries um, unclogged. So, no so white you made chocolate. a lot of people happy with dark chocolate there. Yes, yes. Milk so, chocolate, not so much. No milk chocolate, sorry. Darn. And white chocolate, no flavonoids at all. So oh, stick darn. to the dark and the or the bittersweet, and that will help you with. Uh, with your cholesterol. So those are all pretty tasty foods that I think most people, if you're not eating them now, just trying to make some easy substitutes. If you're eating red meat every day of the week, one first step might be to try substituting beans or substituting soy products instead of meat if you feel like you can't give up um, meat entirely. Well, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more because now you've made me hungry about uh, what sort of foods people could have to help lower their cholesterol that's all natural. And then we're going to talk a little bit about when should you accept your fate if you need to take medication, because that doesn't have to be the first option. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ann Leek. We're talking today about heart disease and how to avoid developing blockages in your arteries. And she specializes in diabetes, but also talks a lot about cholesterol at Queens Medical Center, West Oahu. And together, we are going to demystify how people need to look at their cholesterol and their sugars and their blood pressure and heart disease risk. So we'll be right back after this quick break and we'll hear some more great information. Stay with us. Well, I wake up listening to Morning Edition every day. And if I'm lucky, I get to listen to more than, you know, 45 minutes before I have to head out to work. Uh, But sometimes I have really long drives in the morning up to the North Shore, and uh, it's nice to kind of be comforted by uh, today's news and some familiar voices. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. undefeated against the hare, thought the tortoise. Actually, I'm 1-0. I'm undefeated in my entire racing career. An historic rematch. This week on Selected Shorts, from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Hawaii Supply. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ann Leek, and she works at Queens Medical Center West Oahu and specializes in diabetes and also in counseling people about cholesterol. So today we're talking a little bit about heart disease because, you know, Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and the best gift you could give your loved one is keeping your heart healthy because you'll be around even longer. So there's a lot of risks that people hear about regarding heart disease. And we're trying to talk a little bit today about certain things you can do that you could add to your diet, for example, that might help with your cholesterol profile and things you can add to your lifestyle that could really make a big difference in the long run. Now, as always, we are welcome to hear from you as well. You're part of this show and you can join us at 941-3689, toll free from our neighbor islands, 877-941- Three six eight nine. Now, right before the break, we were talking with Kalika from Kauai, who's done a great job modifying his health and finding some foods that he feels have really helped to improve his health 
and improve his lifestyle. And we were talking also about some other things. I mean, I can just picture salmon and tofu and spinach, add a couple of walnuts and almonds and throw me some dark chocolate and I am just loving it. But let's talk a little bit about how you can figure out when should you look at your cholesterol profile, having tried to add these things to your diet, having tried to avoid other types of foods, like my friend who brought his cholesterol down by getting rid of the plate lunch, and your numbers are still high. And sometimes people have to really consider what are the risks for heart disease and taking medication. So let's say you're in the perfect scenario. You, you've eaten all those good healthy foods. You've really worked on your diet. Your numbers are still high. You do the risk calculator, maybe because your blood pressure's up, because your sugar's up, you're told you have to take medicine. What sort of medication options are out there for people who have high cholesterol? I think the first medicine we usually choose is a statin. And uh, what statins do is they just help at that liver level um, so you're not making so much bad cholesterol like you use, like your liver would normally do. And so um, statins, I think, have been in the news because of this association with muscle inflammation. So if you're thinking about it's time to start that, your doctor would probably ask you, are you having any problems with your muscles right now? And if that's the case, then they might order this test called CK, which is an, an enzyme in your muscle. It will tell us sort of your baseline of that so that should your muscle problem get worse on the statin, it can be remeasured and uh, then a decision be made about whether to continue the statin or not. So I want to just say one good word since uh, about statins um, in that postmenopausal women who are at risk for osteoporosis, statins do help your bones hold on to your calcium better. So they actually slow that process of osteoporosis. So there's kind of an added benefit. Sometimes in medicine, it's a side, side benefit, but instead of a bad effect, it's a good effect. So I would want to encourage uh, women in that age group um, to think about that. And who knows, if your osteoporosis or osteopenia isn't so bad, maybe you could uh, come off of one if you're starting the statin. So the other thing about statin is you have to have a pretty healthy liver to metabolize the statin. So again, your doctor might do that as a baseline measure before starting you on a statin. So that if there were any problems with your liver, uh, they could be detected by a repeat of that blood test. It's a sad case, but Asians are more affected by liver problems taking statins, and that's in the latest set of guidelines from the American Heart Association. So being careful to get screened for any liver problems before starting a statin would be important. And that could be a simple blood test. Check a blood test before you start on a medication, and then periodically when you're on the medicine to make sure that you're not having any troubles. Correct. Correct. So it can be monitored. And then you'll be followed. So it's not uh, you take the you start the statin, you have another lipid panel done to see what effect happens. And then we always try to give the least amount of medicine to reach the desired goal. So your statin might be increased. But on the other side, if it's very effective for you and lowers your cholesterol amazingly well, then your dose might be cut back on the follow up lipid panel. Sure. So start low. Go slow and, and see what happens, and you and your PCP will figure out a way to 
to work on that. Now, what about some of the other non-statin medicines? We just had a shy caller who said, what's the latest on niacin, good, bad, or otherwise? A lot of information out there about it. Used to be used regularly, and now maybe not so much. So what do we know about niacin these days? So what we know about niacin in these American Heart Association guidelines is that uh, we do need to be a little bit more vigorous about monitoring other things, such as uric acid, uh, which is uh, what's res- which is what causes gout in joints, as well as testing for diabetes, fasting blood sugar, and monitoring that a little bit more often. So there are more consequences sometimes from taking the niacin. The other thing about niacin is it does have this side effect of flushing. Uh, for the niacin to have its best effect, you don't want a long-acting one. You want a short-acting one, and you want to take it at bedtime when your liver is doing all of its thing. So taking an aspirin along with your niacin can help with that flushing. But it's more uh, the uh, blood sugar going up, gout coming out, or gastrointestinal intestinal symptoms that can occur on niacin that make it... Um, fall under question for efficacy right now. All right. Well, that answers the niacin question. Speaking of callers, we've got a very patient Richard on the line from Honolulu. Richard, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thank you. Um, Speaking of statins and the liver, you know, um, I'm in my 60s and my physician had suggested I start getting on statins. But I have misgivings about it because I have heard that it's hard on the heart and other side effects. So I did some research, and um, apparently Dr. Linus Pauling, who was a uh, Nobel-winning chemist, had done a bunch of research back in the 70s and discovered that uh, vitamin C's role in... uh, protecting the artery balls uh, was really essential. And since humans don't produce their own vitamin C like the other animals, we're always lacking in it. And that contributes to the breakdown of the artery walls. I was just wondering if your guest was familiar with any of that. I haven't read any specific studies about vitamin C. I, I don't think it can be harmful. It is eliminated easily from the body. So I think it would just depend on what dose your what dose is necessary, and I'm not really sure about what dose would be necessary for the effect that you're describing. Suggested uh, as a maintenance, 3,500 milligrams a day, which is a lot higher than the uh, suggested minimum daily uh, allowance. Yeah, if you, uh, have, if you have cholesterol build or you have plaque buildup in your arteries. Uh, they suggest 5,000 to 6,000 milligrams per day. Yeah. So I, whenever I hear things like that, I always wonder if there were randomized control trials done where one group got that mega dose of vitamin C and the other group got a placebo and if, if they really could measure uh, an effect from that. Well, Richard, it's a really good question because, you know, you are not alone. Statins have come into question a lot recently, and we know that there could be side effects to statins. We know about the muscle inflammation. We know that, you know, in certain cases, certain statins have a higher risk of increasing blood sugar, and that's something that came out in the recent past. Not all statins do it, but some do it more than others. And so, you know, you ask a really good question. How do you know when it's time to take medicine? And 
when you look at how traditional medicine is practiced or or standard medicaid medicine is practiced there's there's always going to be a recommendation that we do something to treat the cholesterol and sometimes it's going to be diet and exercise and lifestyle and sometimes it's going to move into the into the realm of taking medicine but what they tried to do in 2013 with the new revised guidelines was really say you know what cholesterol is one piece of this picture it's not the only piece and we have to look at blood pressure smoking status gender age diabetes plus or minus if you have it we kind of have to take an overall look at the complete picture because what we used to do and and I'm the first one to admit it what we used to do is give people statins their cholesterol's high give them a medicine see the number go down set your goal target i want you below 100 you're below 100 you're good you're fine stay on this medicine forever and that may or may not be the best thing to do so you know there is a lot of research that's being done at other ways that you can prevent heart disease and other ways that you can protect the arteries and i honestly think that we have yet to really completely understand the role of inflammation, oxidation, antioxidants, and what that initial insult is to the artery wall. And a lot of people have theories and a lot of people have ideas, but I don't think we have a complete good handle on exactly what that inciting event is that starts to have that blockage develop in that particular part of an artery as opposed to a couple of millimeters down the road. And what what is it that causes these blockages to rupture? Because, you know, a lot of people who have heart attacks, it's not in the 99% blocked artery. It's in the 50 or 60% artery that blocked artery that ruptures and they get a clot. And that's another piece of the puzzle that, you know, really kind of throws all of our science out the window when we think about why would somebody have a blockage and and have this cause a heart attack when you look in their arteries and it doesn't seem that bad. So you're right. There's a lot of stuff out there. Vitamin C is one of the theories. I've heard people talk about vitamin E, although that's been kind of looked at later and people haven't been as happy with the results of vitamin E. Certainly adding certain things in your diet, omega-3 fatty acids, antioxidants. I don't think we've conquered it yet. At the top of the show, I said, you know, still the number one killer and we have yet to figure out how to prevent heart attacks completely. And we're, we're still struggling with that. And I, I hope that at some point we're going to see some type of research that gives us a little bit more information on how to prevent heart disease in general. Now, there's a new medicine that's coming up, and I don't know much about it, Dr. Ann, but it's like this new genetic medicine that's supposed to reduce cholesterol levels to like single digits or something totally, totally different. And that's not even not even something that is out to market yet. So we're moving in a totally different direction from statins to other ways to treat cholesterol. And I'm just hoping that we can see a reduction in heart disease. Yeah, when you, I mean, it, on one hand, we all have to die of something. And we'd all like to die of old age in our sleep and not wake up. Uh, so if the best thing we can do is compress that morbidity, so if we have to die of something and that something is a heart attack, it should be when we're in our 90s and not in our 60s for sure. And that's what we see is, you know, I saw somebody today in my office 45, had a heart attack, had a stent, and was wondering, how did this happen? No major other issues other than super stressful lifestyle, uh, which definitely contributes. But, you know, here's a guy in his 40s saying, how did I have a heart attack? What is it that I'm doing that's so off base? And and no other major risk factors. Blood pressure is good. Sugar is good. Cholesterol was a little high 
but nothing else. And, and these are the people that we're so trying to help. And so, you know, if vitamin C was it, I'm sure that science would have looked at it, done some trials, figured out if it's going to help or not, and then start making some type of formula of it that people could take. If it's statins is the answer for everybody, then nobody would have heart attacks. And yet we still see it. So I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we yet have the complete handle on the crux of that situation. Now, Dr. Ann, diabetes. You mentioned earlier that in the 2013 guidelines of the American, I think it's the the American Heart Association and the guidelines looking at cholesterol management, they added it. Yes, they added the overall picture. That's right. They added it as a risk factor. It was always considered to be the equivalent of having had a heart attack. So that would be the the highest, you know, at-risk group. The problem is with people developing diabetes at younger and younger ages, we don't really want to put somebody on a statin for that's a long life they still have to live. And for women, if they're of childbearing age, they don't want to be on a statin when they're planning a pregnancy. So I'm very glad that this change in how you calculate risk came about because it's balanced off with your age, uh, your gender, your blood pressure. So if all you have is diabetes and you're a young person, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to start taking a statin right away. So we've really tried to modify who are these people who need statins and try to be really particular in the patient population that does the best with them. That's correct. And yeah, it. It, in some ways, I remember when the guidelines first came out, I thought, oh, these are very complicated, and how do I figure out this risk? But now all these risks are, you can get them on your cell phone. You just have to know what to ask for at the app store. It's called the Pooled Cohort Risk Calculator, and it will give you the latest on how to specifically calculate your risk. You do need to know your systolic blood pressure, your total cholesterol, and your level of good cholesterol, but you can do that calculation uh, or go onto the internet to do it. And that'll tell you, what are your risk factors, or what is your risk percentage? What is your risk for having a cardiovascular event in the next 10 years? And if that risk is 7.5 or greater, that should trigger in your mind, well, gee, maybe I should be talking with my doctor about this, or maybe I should be eating some of those 10 superfoods that I mentioned earlier, or at least getting on the road to making some change. If that change is as simple as switching from sautéing your fish in butter to sautéing it in olive oil, that it sounds like nothing. It's the same number of calories, but it makes a big difference in your cholesterol level. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ann Leek. We are myth-busting what you should do with cholesterol. Just having it be high doesn't mean that all is for naught, that there are still some things you can do. Add some foods to your diet. Exercise is always a benefit for pretty much every health thing that I can think of. Um, But when we come back, we're going to talk with some more callers, and we're going to talk a little bit about how to really work on modifying your diet in a way that makes sense and is realistic, and how do sugars play a role in that. When We'll be right back after this quick break. Don't forget, you can join us, 941-3689-877-941-3689 from our neighbor islands. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Being an independent filmmaker can be tough, but it does have some upsides. No one ever looks at his scripts. He always has final cut. He casts whoever he wants. I'm Kai Rizdal, writer, director, actor, and producer Ed Burns of the Brothers McMullen. Next time on Marketplace, it's from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show.
On Saturday, February 21st, classically trained jazz violinist Dwayne Padilla returns to HPR's Atherton Studio. This time he brings with him Benny Chong, ukulele, and Byron Yasui, bass. This unique jazz trio comes together for one night only, February 21st at 7.30 p.m. Tickets at 955-8821 during business hours or at hprtickets.org. Aloha, welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, here with Dr. Ann Leak from Queens Medical Center, West Oahu, who specializes in helping people with diabetes and cholesterol and really trying to figure out what the best way is to work on their lifestyle and their medication to improve their overall health. Now, before the break, we were talking a little bit about some of the new things coming out regarding cholesterol medication and some lifestyle things people can do. Even today, if you were going to eat dinner tonight and you cook your food in olive oil instead of butter, that alone can actually help you in the long run. Now, before we start talking a little bit more about cholesterol and how that plays a role in heart disease and diabetes as well, let's go ahead and talk with Christoph, a very patient man from Hawaii. Christoph, welcome to The Body Show. It is. Thank you for the very important uh, program very, very excellent information. Uh, the question is regarding taking the metformin. Okay. What about it? Well, do you advise taking it? Well, metformin for diabetes? That's a great question, Christoph, and it just so happens that Dr. Ann counsels people about diabetes all the time. So, Dr. Ann, metformin, friend or foe? Metformin is your friend. And one thing that changed in the diabetes guidelines just this year in 2015, I think there's a lot of misinformation on the Internet that metformin causes kidney damage. It's really the case that if you have damaged kidneys, metformin might not be for you. But they've done more research on can we give metformin to people who maybe don't have perfect kidneys, and the answer seems to be yes. So it's the mainstay. What it does is it makes your, the cells in your body more sensitive to your own insulin. So your insulin fits better at its receptor, and that lets the glucose into the cells. This especially is good at the level of the liver. So people who wake up with a high fasting blood sugar, that liver sometimes is not doing its right job. And even though you haven't eaten all night, your blood sugar's high. Metformin's a great drug for that. And I, I advocate staying on it throughout the course of type 2 diabetes. Even if you're adding on medicine or maybe even starting insulin, it's still good to stick with that metformin because it will reduce your need. Your dose of insulin can be less if you continue to take metformin. How about taking the chromium? Chromium? Chromium as a supplement. There is some evidence that that is helpful in diabetes. I don't really recommend any particular dose, but uh, as a micronutrient, it is an important uh, micronutrient. Venadol sulfate? Ven I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Venadol sulfate? I'm not sure what that is. Do you know, Kathy? I don't, I don't know, Christoph. Metformin, you got friend. Chromium, you got kind of a friend. Then you mentioned... Something sulfate, we don't quite understand, but... Well, I, I used to take the metformin, uh, but then I took, after taking seven uh, prescription drugs, I decided no more. But then I went to Life Extension blog, and they said that after 10 years...
years of study and a metadata analysis that taking metformin, uh, they were surprised that there was there was not the the expected incidence of cancer across the board. So I decided I will take metformin. All right, Christoph. So metformin is a good idea for you. Some of the other supplements certainly something to look into. I I caution you. When you mention looking at things on the internet, and I'd suggest that you go to places like Mayo Clinic, John Hopkins, uh, Massachusetts General, UCLA, some of the Duke, some of these places have excellent medical websites that have really good comprehensive information. Mayo Clinic actually puts out a whole book called Alternative Medicine and Approach to Disease, and they really do a very excellent scientific analysis of some of the things that you hear about, like chromium. Does it work? Does it not? Uh, Which studies show that it does? What's the safe dose? And so, you know, I often suggest to folks that if you really want to take a different altering approach to your health, first talk with your primary care provider. Make sure they're on board with this. But also uh, do the research in the sites that really are associated with top-notch medical centers that are looking at some of these issues that you want to address. And, you know, even Mayo does this whole section on alternative medicine. So it's not like you're just going to hear, take this standard treatment and that's it. But they really do a good analysis about what some of these other micronutrient supplements and other types of supplements can possibly do and how that could interact and affect your overall medication use. So don't do it blind. Make sure you're going to the right sites, but take a look at those sites because not all websites are the same. So you might want to be careful about that. But, you know, he mentioned a really good point, Dr. Ann, which is diabetes and metformin and how important it is to fix the metabolic picture of diabetes. Now, you have an upcoming event where you're going to be giving people some information. It's a, it's a lecture that's occurring. And again, I think all the information people can get is helpful, but making sure that they're tailoring it to getting it from people who have the science background is essential. Tell us about where you're going to be. Yeah, so we're going to have a great talk out in West Oahu on Thursday, February 19th from 6 to 7 p.m. It's a nutrition talk and that I'll be doing with our nutritionist, Kelly McDaniel, from 6 to 7 p.m., and we're calling it Food, Love It or Leave It. So we're going to look at foods people tend to love, kind of think about, well, are they really the best one? And is there something else that's on a superfood list that would be a good substitute for you? If you'd like to come to this talk, we just ask that you call 691-3620 to register. That's Thursday, February 19th from 6 to 7 p.m. Food, love it or leave it, 691 3620. And I want to get in one more word about metformin and why I'm a big proponent of it in type 2 diabetes. In the prospective diabetes study that was done in the UK, metformin was one of the um, most heart protective. You know, it would reduce your chances of having a heart attack, people who were taking metformin. That was a very large study with a lot of people. So, another reason that I do advocate people stay on it as uh, protecting you from heart disease. Metformin has become a friend. Okay. We've got another caller on the line. We've got Kevin from Foster Village. Kevin, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. What can we do for you? Yes. Um, you know, recently, over the last couple of years, um, friends of mine have been talking about the benefits of coconut oil, coconut butter, and then my wife, who plays a lot of tennis, and she always gets cramps, you know, playing tennis. 
she 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 was told to drink coconut water. So she started buying it by the cases, those sixteen ounce cans, and she she drank several cases. And then she had to go to her doc uh, one day for a regular visit, and she had always had low cholesterol uh, levels. And during this one visit, the doc looked at her measurements and said, "Hey, uh, have you been doing anything differently?" eating differently and she said oh no except that I, I drink a lot of coconut water now because I play a lot of tennis and people have told her that you know, the electrolytes in it you know are beneficial well, her doc told her well your cholesterol level has really elevated so stop drinking the coconut water and she stopped drinking the coconut water and her cholesterol level or bad cholesterol level went you know got reduced is there anything to this? Interesting question, Kevin, because you bring up two things. One of which is, is coconut oil safe and helpful health-wise? And the second one is coconut water. Kind of two separate questions, but sort of both relating to coconut. So I'm curious, Dr. Ann, I've, I've talked to a nutritionist. Olive oil is best. Coconut oil is okay. It's not like really good, but it's not really bad. Certainly better than some of the vegetable oils or corn oils that we use. So it kind of comes in on the second, olive oil still being best. But it's curious about the coconut water because that's sort of the electrolyte thing is true, Kevin. I've heard that before. The electrolytes in coconut water mimic that in your plasma or in your blood. Curious to know it increased the cholesterol. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit sweet. I'd have, I don't, I, I know I've had the stuff to drink myself and it's, for calories, it's not so bad, but I'd want to look at the sugar content of it because if she was drinking that much, you'd really have to think about, well, how many extra grams of sugar was she getting in a day? And uh, I don't know if that tipped the balance. But the other thing, I mean, I can't see you, Kevin, but uh, another thing that can make cholesterol go up all of a sudden is going through menopause. So if she was menopausal, probably her doctor would have eyeballed that as the cause, but it's something else to think about. Well, and it sounds like when... Kevin, when your wife stopped the coconut water, she got better with her LDL. So good for her for being active and playing tennis. First of all, let's just not forget that activity and exercise are really important for your lifestyle and can often balance out some of those dietary indiscretions. So if you do happen to, you know, have gone to the carnival this weekend and had the malasadas, I did not. I regret it. I missed them this year. I'll wait till next year. Going for a walk will actually help to help you to use that type of sugar that you've eaten, the fat that you've eaten, and can help. So exercise, kudos to your wife for playing tennis. But, you know, it is important to be careful with some of the foods that we intake that help us to enjoy what we're doing. So coconut water, I don't, I honestly don't know if it has a whole lot of cholesterol in it, but clearly it did something for your wife. Astutely, she saw her doctor, stopped it, went back to the better cholesterol values, You know, finding another way to replace electrolytes while exercising is always something that can be done. Um, Best of luck for her because that's certainly not something that uh, that you want to experience as you're doing all this exercise and things get worse. Now, we've got one more caller on the line. We have Lori from Kahala. Lori, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. What can we do Um, for you? I just learned from my husband a few days ago that his um, primary care physician had put him on statins. And I was 
frankly rather shocked at this. Um, and in looking at the numbers, which we've now kind of gone over together, he had a cholesterol, a total cholesterol of 217, triglycerides of 63, HDL of 95, and an LDL of 109. And he's been an avid exerciser um, and is thin um, and has been at exercising for 50 years. Um, in looking at this, I thought, I wonder what, what really initiated this move to try the statins. Um, he's giving it a lot of secondary thought now and perhaps will not stay with them. But in doing some research on it, and I was very careful to go to Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins, et cetera, as Good you just work. recommended, I think Good that work, is really Larry. important when you're doing your layperson um, Internet searches. I've read several things now that are linking um, the use of statins to amnesia as well as the increase in, in incidence of diabetes. And I noticed that his glucose level also went up after being on them. And yes, his HDL did go down. But with that much protective LDL, um, I just wondered what, and, and hitting the age of 73 where memory issues are already always on your mind, that really kind of gave me pause. Well, I'm curious, Lori. Did he ask his doctor why he was put on it? He's the type of compliant patient that if the doctor says the latest studies show that this will reduce your risk of heart attack by 10%, I think you should go on them. That was enough. So the short answer is no, he doesn't ask questions. He's okay. a guy. Well, you know, I didn't say that. You did. I know. I hope he's listening. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, and I guess really paddling. the question is, so, um, you know, yeah, why I, was, was he put you know, on statins? And so high HDL, and it's interesting right. because in the past his high, his HDL ratio has always been very high. And in the past, the doctor, this doctor and others have always sort of made a note in the margin. Wow, with this kind of a ratio, I'm not worried that your cholesterol number is high. Well, but interesting though, because you mentioned that you you gave us these cholesterol numbers. I'm assuming that was without medicine. Right. Okay. So the question that comes up, and and I think Dr. Ann. Uh, went over this briefly earlier, is why would people be put on statins? And so it's more than just a numbers game. We used to look at a number. Now we have to look at an overall picture. And that overall picture includes systolic blood pressure, right. diabetes status, gender, and some other risk factors that sort of all come into this cholesterol calculator. And I see you, you're you doing some stuff and you're putting some numbers yeah, in there. Yeah, I'm just wondering if her husband is a smoker no, or is on but blood does pressure have high medicine. blood pressure, but okay. is on medication for it, which leads me to a general question I've had all my life. When you're on medication for something like high blood pressure, I view that as you still have high blood pressure, but you have it under control through medication. Just having it is a risk. So it, you do want to have it controlled because that will lower your risk. But in the current um, state of the art, as far as these pooled cohort calculators, mm -hmm. having high blood pressure is a risk. So I'm going to assume he, and he doesn't smoke. Correct. Okay. She's doing this calculation so, while we're on air, uh, Lori. How, what more could you ask for? That's She's fabulous. She's like putting it into the little uh, yeah, thing so on her phone. To, okay. It's, a li it's kind of hard to find. So probably the reason he was put on is that he does, be, and it, mostly this is driven by age, mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. that he does have a 24% chance of having a cardiovascular event in the next 10 years. Okay. But he's older, so you know. But he's if he if he's expecting to live into his nineties, that's why this was recommended to him. I know at face value, it looks like well, that's kind of crazy. 
Yes, but it did to uh, me. yeah. Then the only other I had to make up his systolic blood pressure, so I don't know what he normally gets when he goes in for his checkups. Do you? Neither. No. Okay. Well, I just put down the kind of 140 as the cutoff. We wouldn't want it to mm. be much higher than that. But that's why. And, and it's really just an age thing and being a male. They okay. have more risk than uh, women. Uh, and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so. And what is that calculator again? I'm sorry. I, did, I just came. Okay. Um, I lost reception. Oh, that's all right. So if you Google pooled cohort risk calculator, or you can, uh, sometimes you can find it if you do ATP4, that's adult uh-huh. treatment protocol 4 calculator you can get one on the internet but the one i have on my phone i found it in the app store by uh, entering uh pooled cohort risk risk okay cohort risk okay great thank you and it's pooled cohort risk calculator okay so there's your answer Lori. comments on the um, amnesia connection is that just um hearsay or is it too new to know yeah, I've, I don't know about that. Hmm. Well, I kind of do, and I've heard a lot of people who have anecdotal evidence that suggests that um, that the use of statins could cause some memory loss, and that when they stop the statins, their memory comes back. It is considered a possible risk factor, and so certainly you have to consider if if you are in a situation where you notice a dramatic change in memory, either yourself or for a loved one, and you just started a new medicine, any new medicine, you want to be a little bit suspicious about that medicine. And in particular, people have noticed that with statins. But the kind of corollary, which is so interesting, is statins reduce your risk for strokes. And strokes cause memory issues too. So it it honestly, it seems like the more we know, the more we don't know. And, And that's one of the big things about medicine is it's not black and white anymore. And you know, Laurie, you were a prime example where just when we were thinking about this whole issue, you know, Dr. Ann whipped out the pooled cohort risk calculator and said, here's why, because your husband's at this high risk of developing heart problems. So I'd encourage people to go take a look at that, to Google that, or to look it up on the Internet and see what it says, particularly if you're put on medication and you're not quite sure why. Talk to your doctor, ask them why, but see if there is a risk that maybe you're not fully aware of. Now, and we have just about another... I don't know, 20 seconds or so. Last thoughts on what people can do tonight, dinner time, exercise-wise, to help themselves to reduce the risk of heart disease. I would go, I would say get some dark chocolate and add some walnuts or maybe some almonds. That that would be that would be delicious for dessert. But what would you say? I would say um if you like fish, try to eat it twice a week. Uh if you like soy milk, uh, and, or if you've never tried soy milk, try it. It's delicious, and it comes in chocolate flavor. It can be a nice thing to have at night when you're craving something sweet, but you want to do something for your cholesterol that's beneficial. Try some soy milk. All right, and if they want to hear more about nutrition, they can always go ahead and join you on February 19th. It's a Thursday, West Oahu, and they can go ahead and take a, take a look at the number and give them a call. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. You can hear this show again, hawaiipublicradio.org. Engineer David Chong, executive producer Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.